got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. What's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Jalen Daniels was the talk of the town yesterday and whether you would redshirt him. Or not? Well, we got some answers from Lance Leipold, and we'll play all of what he had to say. He, he spoke for a while, answered a lot of questions. Obviously, you know, when there's excitement in the air, people are going to be asking more questions. So a lot of audio that we'll share throughout the show. We'll also be joined by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World in about 35 minutes. Kevin Flaherty will join the show at 440 here. Um, here is, I guess we'll just get this started with what Lance Leipold had to say, specifically about Jalen Daniels, whether he wanted to take a, a red shirt or not had a lot of conversations with Jalen, um, as did Andy and Jim. Um, we talked with Jalen's parents. I talked with Jalen's father yesterday afternoon um, because when we sat down, you know, weeks ago, we talked about a plan and obviously sometimes those have to be adapted. And But we told the family that we would um, respect their decision on what they want to do. And, um, you know, talking with Jalen and he sees the momentum of what this team is doing, what it's done for our locker room. And he's all in to uh, to help us uh, build this program. And he wants to play. So that's simple, right? He didn't come out and clearly say he is not going to redshirt, but he did come out and say he wants to play. I would be very surprised at this point if he if he redshirts. Yes. Just based on that. Right. Now, what was interesting, though, there was a depth chart released last night around eight o'clock. Jason Bean was listed as the starting quarterback with Jalen Daniels behind him. But later, and in, in, we'll let you listen to this next segment, um, he was kind of prodded about the idea, like, so does that mean Jalen Daniels is going to start? And he kind of gave, like, a sheepish smile and laugh and said, we'll just wait and see what happens. So that sounds like to me that he is going to start I yeah, I mean I know a lot of coaches are are have the the belief they want to stay loyal to their players and they don't believe in um giving uh players, you know, a starting role because of injury. Um I I think you give it to who you think is the best player. Now look, if if the reason now I think based on what that is, I think Jalen Daniels starts if but I think if the reason if Jason Bean does start and the reason is because they think he's a better quarterback, okay, I'm fine with that. I just, I mean, I, I would disagree with it, but I'm fine with the reasoning. I would really disagree with the reasoning if if they said, no, well, we just don't want to give it, give up his starting spot due to injury. I really hope that's not their, their in, in their line of thinking. Yeah, I, I would hope not, and I also don't think, like, it'd be hard to do that because part of the reason Jason Bean is starting is because Jalen Daniels had an injury. Yeah, we talked about that right? yesterday. So it'd be it'd be kind of cyclical, and, and it's just kind of unfortunate. Um, I I do find that interesting that he would be ahead on the depth chart, but based on that answer today, it makes me think that this is almost 
like, hey, let's just make TCU have to prepare for something else. Because they are, I mean, that's it's not a case of, like, I always thought it was so silly when it was like, oh, it's Carter Stanley or Peyton Bender. Like, both guys are pocket passers, right? Yeah. Like maybe Carter's a little more mobile than Peyton Bender. Um, when you have Jason, and listen, Jalen Daniels is actually pretty mobile, but Jason Bean is a whole nother level of mobile than Jalen Daniels is. I mean, you're talking about a guy who, uh, ran track in high school. He ran the same time in the hundred meter in high school that DK Metcalf ran when he ran at the like Olympic qualifiers uh, this past summer. You're 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 drawing up running plays for Jason Correct. Bean, and you're not necessarily like you'll run read option with Jalen yeah. Daniels, but you're not running necessarily a QB sweep like yeah. you're running yeah, yeah, yeah. with with Jason Bean. So in that sense, it does maybe force the opposition to prepare differently. And I always make fun of. KU for the fact when they do it against FCS opponents because it's like, do you really need to do it against an FCS opponent? Um, now, that's another conversation. You can get on board with it maybe against TCU. That's kind of how I took that, that this is maybe more of a, a mind game to play with TCU, and then Jalen Daniels is going to end up starting. I would just have such a hard time believing that they're going to keep his, or they're going to pull his red shirt and, and risk never right? playing him anyway. Well, and that's the thing. If, you, if he's the backup, but he never enters a game as a backup. I guess technically you he could, could still, still redshirt. So maybe that's the idea as well. That could be a possibility. But this is what that just seems. I don't know. That seems like trying to have your cake and eat it too. Right. It, it almost seems like you know you're dipping your toe in the pool as opposed to just cannonballing in. Yeah. Right. Just go all the way in. And, and this comment here from another question that was asked to Lance Leipold makes me think that's not necessarily going to be the case. That it is actually going to be Jalen Daniels that they are cannonballing into the pool with. We all brief conversations of where wanted, you know, where we kind of hoped maybe it was going, but at the, I made it clear to them that my decision was it was Jalen's decision because I owed that. Because though it's a balancing act of tough decisions, the young man has to go back in the locker room and says what was said eight weeks ago is still true that he, that the, the conversations of trust and, and what it is, because you, when you have to build those relationships, especially with guys that you weren't part of the recruiting process, they, you, if I break that and tell him he has to play, what does that do? What does it do to the locker room? What does it do for the future of the program? So that part to me was, yeah, we want Jalen to play. We want to do what, you know, put together, just like I've said from the start, we're going to try to build this program the right way, but we're going to do everything we can to win for this senior class and everyone to go out every game. And so it was one of the more unique balancing act, uh, you know, decisions that I've had to make in a unique way that, uh, but I was very comfortable with how I stated it because I know then, I'm being true to, to to the player himself. Okay, so first of all, again, all Jalen Daniels and his parents' decision, like he didn't want to leave this up to completely himself. What he was talking about at the beginning there, I think applies here. The fact that, you know, you don't want to tell this kid after you've planned on redshirting him, like, okay, no, now we're not going to redshirt you. Everything we told you in the past was a lie. You he, want it to come out as, no, like this is a different situation and, and – you know, it's different circumstances now. I agree, and I, but I think, and the way he spoke there, I get the vibe that he, and I don't want to put words in his mouth. Do you get the? I'll, I'll risk putting words in his mouth. I get the sense he he hopes Jalen Daniels chooses not to redshirt. 
Correct. Yeah. That's I get that sense. Now I don't think he'll push back if he does. I don't think he'll take it personally or be mad or anything. I think he's he I think he's one hundred percent telling the truth. If Jalen Daniels comes in and says, No, I want to keep my red shirt, he's not gonna push mm-hmm. back on that. But I do I get the sense he he hopes uh Daniels chooses to play and and if that is the case, that that then also tells me that he plans on starting him. Yeah. So I, I kind of wonder if the reason for all this, because again, if you take that first part in him valuing the the trust part of this, then you would also trust him to say, okay, if we are pulling the red shirt off of you, then you are going to be the starter. You wouldn't say, hey, we're going to pull the red shirt off of you and you're going to be the backup. And I think that might come into play there where he would be the starter. And going back to the idea that um, Jason Bean was listed as the starter in the depth chart last night, I also, part of me wonders if, and again, this would also go into the idea that, um, because again, it wasn't point, like, at no point during the Lance Leipold press conference today was there a point-blank statement, Jalen Daniels is not redshirting. There was the comments of Jalen Daniels wants to play, right, which is basically saying he's not going to redshirting without actually saying it, which tells me that the decision has been come to that he wants to play and not redshirt, but they're not going to fully make it because what happens if hypothetically... I don't know if Jalen Daniels like uh, sprained his wrist in practice on Wednesday or something, and That's he had to be fair. out two weeks. Yeah. Then you, at that point, you're just saying, okay, well, in that case, then we'll leave you as the backup. We'll leave you red shirting in that situation. It's also possible that he hadn't at the, at the time of that re- at that uh, the depth put chart out the depth yeah. chart. He hadn't made a decision. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. And and that could be the other piece of it as well. So uh, I'm not really putting any stock into the depth chart at this point, to be honest. Now. I'm just kind of going into Saturday with the assumption Jalen Daniels will be the starter. I would tend to agree. I'd be really. I'd actually. I'd put it almost like eighty twenty, maybe even more. Um, which I, you know, we talked about yesterday. This is kind of what we both wanted. I think we he gives them the best chance to win, and and I think um, I don't know. Just trying to put two and two together. I think it seems to me that Lance Leipold believes that Jalen Daniels gives them the best chance to win. Then on top of that. He, you know, he has made it clear for the senior class. He he wants to balance, you know, he wants to win as much as they can for the senior class without sacrificing too much of the future. And he talked about that balancing act. All of that lends me to believe that, um, that yeah, it'll be it'll be Jalen Daniels this Saturday. Yeah, um, and I guess it gets interesting from here what happens because. Over these next two games, like if you get the Jalen Daniels you saw against Texas or even close to it, like 70% of it, 75% of it, that's probably the guy you feel comfortable is going to be the starter headed into the offseason, headed into next year. Certainly things can change. Obviously they have over the course of this season. Um, but now it becomes interesting because if if you have some of those down moments that Jason Bean had, yeah. where he did have the high moments, not as high maybe as the Texas game, but some other really good moments but then had some down moments, then we're back to, I don't want to say square one because you've had more information from there, but definitely you've taken a couple steps back from where you thought you were, and that is kind of the risk involved here. It's a risk-reward, right? If, if you get the continued Jalen Daniels thing, you have a push into the offseason, you have all the momentum in the world at the quarterback position. If not, then it's a QB competition, but at the very least, this year we do know headed into the offseason, even if, even if we do feel like it's a 50-50 proposition, this offseason with Jalen Daniels and Jason Bean, 
at the very least, we know we've seen high moments from both of them. I, yeah, absolutely. And I, but I also think you need an opportunity, or you don't need it. If he chooses to redshirt, it's fine. But it would be nice to have a chance to see what is Jalen Daniels' lowest point. Because Jason Bean, as good as he's been in, in some games, to be quite frank, he's been really bad. and like His low has been pretty low. So you need an opportunity, I think. You, you've seen, well, if you haven't seen what Jalen Daniels' ceiling is, if his ceiling wasn't the Texas game, then I'm really excited to see what that ceiling is. Uh, but you, I, I would, I wouldn't. I mean, I don't want him to do poorly, but I do think it would be good for evaluation purposes to see what his floor is. Mm-hmm. What is a bad? What does Jalen Daniels' bad game look like? Well, I mean, we saw some last year, but it's hard to judge last year, right? Because the offensive line was giving up five sacks a game. Yeah, I they're mean, they're bad. And and on a side note, really bad. How much better is the offensive line this year oh, than they so were? Oh, so much better. Not just, the, but compared to like week one this year. Yeah, yeah, they've gotten so, and and the offensive line. Like I, I always say, this it's the position that improves the most over the course of a season. But just from where you were this year to last year is night and day. And I think Scott Fuchs, the offensive line coach, gets so much credit for that um, for everything he's done. Obviously, you've brought in transfers like Mike Nowitzki that that helps the process. But they have been so much better, and that'll like that was to me headed into the season the biggest part of this team. How good the offensive line could be, not just in terms of because you need that to be successful and because you want it to look good. But it is almost impossible, take last year for instance, to properly evaluate a quarterback without having at least a decent offensive line. And I think by having that this year, you are getting better evaluations of Jason Bean and Jalen Daniels. Yeah, I mean, that's that's very true. You can't, I mean, if, if he's just running for his life, you can't decide, well, you know, did he take that sack because the offensive line was bad? Did he make that throw because he he hasn't yeah. you know he didn't have a good chance to actually make his Did he reads? Check it down right away because he knows he doesn't have enough time to yeah. hit the deep post over the middle of the field. I don't know. Now I do have one more thing before we take a break here. Um, is there any part of you that thinks, based on if we do go back to the depth chart, which I already basically said I'm giving no credence to, uh, but is there any part of you that thinks maybe it could open the door for the fact that? Maybe they'd want to do a two QB system. That that thought actually popped into my mind a few minutes ago. Um, maybe uh, because we talked about they do look quite a bit different than in previous years where they've tried to disguise who the starting quarterback is going to be. Um, yeah, maybe, but I I just I think Daniels I, I I it's an old cliche, you know, when you've got two quarterbacks, you've got zero, and I I lean that way. I I would hope. If you want to, if you want to roll that way, I think one guy needs to be the clear dominant one and play seventy five or eighty percent of the snaps, and then you bring another guy. You bring Maybe in being just a running quarterback. Yeah, exactly. Right? You bring him in as a different look. Mm-hmm. He's a threat to pass, but he's probably going to run. Like if, I'd be fine with that. But if you're, you know, I, I have a hard time envisioning it be, and, and I'm, I'm willing to be proven wrong. But I do have a hard time envisioning it being successful if it's fifty fifty. Yeah, maybe it's more like the like. For instance, the Virginia Tech team that played Kansas in the Orange Bowl where they had, uh, I think it was Sean Glennon, was like the regular quarterback, although he might have been hurt for the Orange Bowl. No, it was, yeah. And then um, it was Tyrod Taylor was the running quarterback. No, it was Tyrod Taylor, yes, and, but uh, Glennon was in. Tyrod Taylor was the one who was out for a quarter on his okay. suspension. Okay, so uh, maybe it's not, I don't I don't know. Maybe, maybe that doesn't apply at all. I just think that could be something to at least bring up because it's very interesting now for Jason Bean. He is in a point where if that's not the case – then he's basically dependent on what happens with Jalen Daniels. And uh, the thing with with Jalen Daniels, if he would have even been the backup all year, if he would have just never played, 
even if you wouldn't have won the job in the offseason. If, if Jason Bean was your quarterback this year, next year, and the year after, like Jalen Daniels, you would have still had a couple more years after that for him to play. So he could have been seeing it as well, I'll develop in the program. With Jason Bean, if you get stuck behind Jalen Daniels, you don't have that luxury. You're now older than the guy who you'd be in front of, and I wonder if that puts you available on the transfer market if you don't get playing time these next couple of weeks, but also he's used his one free transfer. So do you think about a uh, position switch because you're so fast? I don't know. I think that'll just be something in- interesting to monitor that we won't obviously have answers for until probably the offseason, but uh, that could definitely come into play if you don't give him playing time these last two weeks. Yeah, I the, the I hadn't even considered a position transfer. That's entirely possible. I just think um, – I, I just want – I, I really, and I've said this a, a bunch of different times in a bunch of different ways, I would like uh, these two, I, I don't know, I, I think if these two are competing against each other, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I hope it, you know, I, you don't want it to get to the level where it severs the team, but if you have two talented players competing for one position spot, it only makes them better. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Matt Tate joins the show in about 20 minutes. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome back in Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson here on RCST. Joined now on a Tuesday by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. All right, Matt, uh, the difficult question to open up uh, our segment with, the win over Texas that KU had on Saturday, that was the best win for the Jayhawks program since when? Since when, wow. Um, you, you would think I'd thought about that over the last couple of days, but there's been a lot of real-time excitement and joy from coast to coast over this Kansas win, so there's been a lot to stay on top of and cover. So I haven't thought of it, but, you know, I would say, wow, that is tough, though. Um, There aren't that many wins, so that helps. But uh, I would say say since the last time they beat K-State, um, which I think would be 2008, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, they they put it on them pretty good that year, and that's not the Orange Bowl year. Obviously, that's the next season. That Orange Bowl year was the 2007 season, as most people know. But uh, you know, I, I just think that that that's the game that's circled every year, right? And and there have been some wins here and there over West Virginia or Iowa State or um, whoever else they've beaten in this in this uh, rough rough decade. You know, they've had a couple. They had a Obviously, the win at Boston College was a big win. Um, they won a road game elsewhere, I think. Central Michigan may be right. So there have been some wins, but I, I just think that the, the fact that this was Texas and this was a, a, a monumental win, an historic win, uh, first time ever winning in Austin, I mean, that to me brings a little bit of that vibe of something bigger. And, and I, I'm not going to say it's as big as winning a bowl game or, or – anything like that by any means, but I do think that, you know, you're putting it in that category of, of beating your rival. And uh, I think in some ways Texas is everybody's rival, you know, and, and as we've seen by the, the national reaction to KU's win, I mean, if KU had just beaten Baylor the other day or, or just won at Oklahoma State, you know, both would have been good wins for the program. Both would, 
would be, you know, celebrated around Lawrence for sure. But there's something extra that comes with winning at Texas and the fact that the entire country, national writers, uh, fans of every program, they're all jumping on this let's hear it for Kansas kind of vibe. And, and I, I think you only get that with Texas. It might have happened with Oklahoma, but I, I think even Oklahoma's not as, as universally hated as Texas seems to be. And so I, I think that this was a massive win. There's no question about it. And, and I think that's why you, you, you have to put it in there with that, with that same kind of vibe of maybe beating your biggest rival. It's, it's, uh, it's not the exact same, but it's similar for sure. Well, part of the reason I ask, I just, think it's interesting when you think back to some of the other wins um and they weren't necessarily like foundational wins for the program and and maybe that's more of just a a hindsight thing where we know it didn't work after that so it didn't end up being a momentum booster but uh, when i think back to some of the wins right they weren't necessarily in like year one like maybe it was uh an upset win with an interim head coach or uh maybe it was a, a head coach who was already struggling and got a win i'm trying to think off the top of my head of like, I, I don't know, would it be like Turner Gill beating that Georgia Tech team like uh, of a year one head coach getting kind of a... a yeah, the Boston win. College win was, was yeah, I guess year one, one too, right? And and so, so, but that's to your point. I mean, that's a perfect example of what you're saying. I mean, at the time, that one seemed massive. That one seemed, like you said, foundational and, and uh, it, like it could be a bit of a turning point. And then we have the luxury now and the benefit now of knowing what came after that. And what came after that was nothing, a bunch of losses, another winless season the year after. I mean, you know, so that game, as much as it seemed like a massive win at the time and was exciting for, for the, for the fan base and obviously the program, um, it, it didn't do anything really after that, you know? So I think that's exactly what you're saying. And, 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 and I, maybe I'm connecting the dots inaccurately here, but I think what you're saying is, is, Maybe this one can be. Maybe this has a different feel to it. Maybe this one feels like, wow, this this could be the start of something. And there's a bunch of maybes thrown in there, and, and you have to throw the maybes in there because we don't know yet. We won't know for a while. But but you do get that sense, in, 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 at least a little bit. I mean, there's there's the idea that Jalen Daniels was the quarterback, and, and he played great. He played a great game, and if he continues to – to progress and grow and, and becomes the quarterback of the future, you'll look at this game as, as a big-time turning point for him. Um, you'll look at this game as, as a, you know, a, a signature, signature performance by Devin Neal, who could be a problem in the Big 12 for the next three years. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things that, that you could look at with this victory and say, well, that could mean something. That maybe, that, maybe that matters, you know, whereas a lot of those others, like you're saying, I mean, even the – even the Texas win at home um, when David Beatty was the coach. I mean, that these these aren't even close. You know, these are night and day. I mean, that was a nice win, but it was kind of fluky, and it, it was it was in spite of Texas trying, or excuse me, in spite of Kansas trying everything in its power to, to lose that game, and it, it required six turnovers by Texas, and a lot of them just kind of bad plays. I mean, the turnovers KU got in this game I thought were – were good plays by Kansas, and I think that makes a difference too. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, we don't know yet. We won't know yet, but, but there, is a, there is a different layer to this victory and a, and a, and a, a different feel all the way around right now. And, and, and if nothing else, it, it, it gives Lance Leipold and his staff the ability to, to look recruits in the eye and say, hey, 
this is what we can do here. You come on and, and, and join us and, and get on board and we can do more of that. We can compete with number three Oklahoma. We can beat Texas at their place. I mean, those are things you can say with confidence now and, and you have data to back them up. And, and that's massive for the turnaround and the hopes of the rebuild and all of that stuff. But it's also big in the sense that Lance Leipold can look at his current roster and, and look each one of them in the eye and say, you don't need to go anywhere. This is where you want to be. We're going to do this thing, and here's why. Look what we did to Oklahoma. Look what we did to Texas, blah, 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 right? So that just that adds some, some clout, if you will, to, to your ability to keep your roster intact because with the transfer portal and everything being what it is in college athletics today, not only do you have to recruit incoming recruiting classes, but you have to re-recruit your own roster year after year after year. And so now that just became easier, too, because he can tell these guys, I've been telling you since I got here, this is how we're going to do it, and this is what's going to happen. And, and now there's a little bit of proof there already. And, and yeah, this could still end up being a 2-10 and season, and the next two weeks could go poorly, or who knows. But, but still... You can look back on that as sort of the building block, and, and, and there's no bigger building block than beating Texas at their place. I don't care if Texas is trash. I don't care if you gave up 56 points. All that matters at the end of the day is that goes down as a win, and, and you can build on wins, no question about it. We're talking with Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Uh, it was kind of outwardly said at the Lance Leipold press conference earlier today that uh, you know he's going to play, and it wasn't uh, forward enough to say he will not redshirt or that he will start, but it seemed that that it was kind of hinted at. Certainly, I guess would be an easy way of saying it. Um, are you expecting Jalen Daniels to start on Saturday and be the only quarterback to play, or are you expecting something different? No, I think that's the expectation, and and uh, you know we'll see if that's accurate or not. But but I, I think that's right. I think he's earned that, um, and, and I don't mean that just from the sense that that he he did well against Texas and won them that or helped win them that game. I mean, I, I think the idea here that you basically put this in Jalen's hands and, and I love that Lance did that. And I think that's the only way you can do it. Um, you know, you're the head coach and you make all the personnel decisions and yeah, that's important, but this kid deserved the opportunity to decide if he wanted to, to sit these last two out and preserve the red shirt or if he wanted to play. I, I, I mean, Again, not just because he helped them beat Texas. I think he deserved it because he, he's been one of the hardest workers on the team the entire time that Leipold's been here and really even going back to last year. Uh, he's been a terrific teammate. He's been, he's been nothing but prepared. Um, he stays ready. He, he has gone in and, and tried to deliver when, when his name's been called and he did deliver the other day, you know, in a very big, tough moment. And so, um, I think those are just all reasons that you you feel good about Jalen Daniels. You like what he's about. You like his his future and and what he could become. And and so you 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 just you tend to reward kids that are that are that way and and that operate that way. And and, and I think they did just that. I mean, by giving it to him and letting him and his family make that decision and make that choice, um, that's a big win in and of itself for the program. But but also for the idea of Leipold and what he stands for and what he's about and, and the bond and the relationship that he can create with his players uh, that are here now and, and in the future. I mean, nobody's going to look at that ever and say, wow, what a jerk. You know, no, every kid, every parent's going to look at that situation, that specific moment and say, gosh, that guy, that guy really takes care of his guys. 
And that's a pretty cool thing. And, and so there, there it is again. It's a totally different thing than a win in the win column, but it's another data point that he can tell and use to recruit and sell and, and promote his program by saying, look, man, I am about my kids. And, yeah, I'm the head coach, and I have final say, and I'm going to do this, this, and this as I see fit. But I'm also human enough to realize that there are circumstances and, and, and moments that require you to adjust. And so I did that with Jalen, and, and it worked out to his benefit, and it worked out to our benefit, and everybody wins. And, I mean, what's not to like about that scenario, you know? So I, I, think, that, I think that that was a major win the way they handled it, but I think the right thing happened, too. I think Jalen should be the quarterback. I think he's their best quarterback, and, and I think there's a chance he may have been, you know, all along. But, but I wouldn't doubt that he developed some confidence as the year went on, running the scout team and, and you know, not having the pressure of having to go out there week after week and, and be the reason and part of the face of, of all these losses. You know, he, he was able to develop his game and practice and, and do it at his pace and at a different pace than he was last year, and, and, and that's obviously served him very well. So, um, I, I think he starts, I think he finishes the year, and, and, and I think that's exactly what should happen. All right, I got a uh, KU football, KU basketball blended question for you. More points. Jared Casey from Saturday, which would be six, or Bobby Pettiford this Thursday night? Oh, I love that one. I also, I, I, we, should, we should go back to, uh, to another one. And I don't remember the outcome, but I think it was the uh, Cam Martin three-pointers <laughs> versus Jason Bean touchdown. That's right. And what week was and that? And I don't uh, the K State game. Okay. So I, I I think I did okay, and I don't think Cam Martin made a three, but I know he shot one. I remember thinking, well, no, it was against Emporia State because that was the only game he played. Um, but I know he shot one, so. Whoever that would have been right before there. Um, well, I know Jason Bean didn't have a touchdown. So There you go. So I don't remember, Derek, if it Worst was Worst case, you pushed. Or, yeah, right. Worst case, I pushed. If it was attempts, I won, and I was a genius. But getting back to your current question, let's, uh, let's answer that one. I'm going to go with Bobby Pettiford. Um, I realize that Jared Casey is uh, – is is you know this cult hero now and and the man and I love that for him. Uh, I've talked to some people in the last couple of days who were around when when he first came to KU and and uh, when when they had to have that conversation with him about walking on and and uh, you know the only thing I keep hearing from everybody that I talk to that that knows him or or was a part of that process is you would love this guy and we'll see what the rest of his career becomes but. Um, you know, he'll never have that moment taken away from him. For the the rest of the time, he'll be remembered as the guy who made that catch, and, and I think that's fantastic for him. So as much as I think that, uh, you know, he's on the radar now and, and as much as I think that, that uh, you know, other teams will at least know what he's got, I don't think they're going to scheme to stop him or anything like that. So I think he'll probably go back to a little bit of anonymity, and, and, and I'm sure he's just fine with that. I mean, this, this guy who loves KU and he wants to win, and if that means he goes out and catches a two-point conversion to beat Texas or doesn't play or works hard in practice or just is a blocking guy throughout the game and doesn't get any glory, I think he'd be fine with all of that. He just wants to be a part of this thing and, and, and wants to help Kansas win, and, and he obviously did that last week. So so there's that part of it. And then when you look at Pettiford, I, I mean, I just think they, they, uh, they have a chance to roll over Stony Brook a little bit, and I think that he'll get a chance to play plenty of minutes and uh, he's a talented dude, man. Um, he's, he's, he's got a lot of game. He can get to the rim. 
he's shown he's fearless already, and he's not afraid of this moment. So um, he's going to have to make a couple buckets, though. I don't know. I don't know that he's a. I know he can shoot the three, but I don't think that's going to be his role on this team. I don't think he'll settle for three pointers. So I think he's going to have to go get at least three buckets for me to be right, and uh, maybe an and one or two, and and uh, we'll see if that happens. But I'm gonna I'm gonna ride with Bobby. All right. Well, uh, if you get your bet wrong, then you know where to return it. Uh, Matt Tate has it on there. Uh, before I let you go, Matt, one last thing with Adam. Hey, Matt, uh, one last thing. What is the most useless plastic utensil? The most useless plastic utensil? I think it's a knife. I would say, yeah, it's, it's got to be between a knife and a fork, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a spoon can do... I mean, a, the spoon is essentially the same as a you know, fine silverware spoon, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, it does the same job. It scoops just it fine. It does the same job. The fork breaks the easiest, too, of yeah. the plastic. It does, it does break pretty easy, but there's certain things you have to eat with the fork that you can't use the spoon on, and obviously you can't really use the knife, but but if you're looking, the knife's not going to cut anything either, let's be honest. I mean, it might cut like a Wonder Bread <laughs> peanut butter if, and jelly. But yeah, if that knife is cutting anything, like, you don't, you can tear it, right? Yeah, exactly. There you go. Right. So, so I think I'll say the knife, um, just because I think you can also use the fork or the spoon to spread. If you're putting peanut butter on something, you could do the back of the spoon with that, no problem. Um, so, I, you know, I don't think there are any others. I mean, we could definitely throw in the Taco Bell spork. The spork is is the undefeated. The spork's yeah. the undefeated champion of the world of plastic utensils. There you go. That, I mean, it's a legendary legendary item and i would i would fight anybody that wanted to take any of those other utensils over the spork i'd but fight them with a spork <laughs> there you go and you'd probably win yeah that's the bottom line so um i don't think there are any others though i can't think of any others those are the four that come to mind um i don't think there's like a plastic garlic press um <laughs> a plastic you know, george I, foreman grill <laughs> yeah yeah the, a plastic uh i actually have one of these one of those uh one of those pizza cutters that's like a like a wheel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like roll it. It's ours is made of plastic, and but again, I mean, you're cutting slices of pizza with that. That's gold. Yeah, that's um, so, that's, that's powerful. That's got to be good plastic. Can you imagine having no that sort of thing, Derek? Mm, I cannot. I cannot. Maybe in your must stocking be nice. this year, Derek. <laughs> Maybe in your stocking this year it'll show up. We'll, Maybe. we'll have to see. We'll see if you've still got a couple months where you have to be good. So, um, you know. Don't slip now, and you might get that plastic pizza cutter. But if you're trying to get rid of things in your cabinet and you need to do it and it has to be a mandate to get rid of plastic utensils, ditch the knives, man. Ditch them. <laughs> knives. Sorry, I should not I should use proper English. The knives. There ditch we go. Them. All right, well, he is Matt Tate. He is one of the three best non-red shirts in Lawrence. It's Ochag, Baji, Jalen Daniels, and Matt Tate on Red Fridays because he is not a Chiefs fan. Uh, you're also the spork of the uh, writing industry. There we go. <laughs> Matt Tate, the Lawrence Journal World. Matt, thank you so much for the time as always, man. All right. Many thanks, man. You guys have a great rest of the week. All right. That was Matt Tate of Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta. One hour down, two to go on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in. Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. We'll be joined by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports coming up in the next segment. But first, we get to our college football whip around. First up, uh, we talked about this last week with the idea that if if Texas loses to Kansas, at that point it would be five straight losses, which it was. Is Steve Sarkeesian going to get fired? Now, he wasn't fired on Monday, 
but they're sitting at four and six, five straight losses. They finish out the year. They're at West Virginia, and then they play at home against Kansas State. I'd pick them to go one and one. Probably. I think That's K probably State. I think K State gets them. So that would mean not a bowl team, barring I don't know the APR stuff where there's not enough uh, eligible bowl teams or whatnot. Um, do you think he's going to get fired at the end of the season? Um, I'm. I just googled to see. The buyout is twenty twenty point six million. million okay. Yeah. yeah. See if there if there's a school that can handle it, it's yeah. Texas. But well, we're seeing teams buy out coaches at it, ten million right now, and that's yeah. not even Texas, right? Um, it could be one of those things that they've. It happened at Nebraska. It happened with Harbaugh at Michigan, where a, a coach gets they they lower they keep him, but they lower his buyout, lower his pay per year. I guess that's a possibility. Although I, there was a quote from Sarkeesian, he said that everything will be evaluated at Texas. And I don't know if that means that he feels comfortable in his job and he's going to evaluate everything from the assistants to the players. Um, that quote made me, or, or if he's saying, no, I, I realize I'll also be evaluated. So I wonder what that quote meant. Um, I did such a huge buyout. It, it just, is. And you know what else I forgot about? Like, they're still paying the Tom Herman buyout. You know how much his buyout was? $24 million. So on one hand, that would tell you, oh, they have no problem paying that high of a buyout. But, but on the other the, hand, more that you're it, doubling it, basically. Exactly. I the other question I always immediately ask is, who do you go to? Like you're not, you're not any other. If it was in, in if it was in any other conference, mm -hmm. I would say Lincoln Riley. Yeah, but you're not getting Lincoln right. Riley. Like if you're Ohio State and you're struggling like Texas is, I say you call Lincoln Riley and ask his number. But you don't you're not going to be able to do that there was a brief moment of panic in my mind when i started thinking about this exact question you're asking it was like what if texas offered lance leipold or like <laughs> give him I bring think, him to us look i like leipold but i i think texas can go can shoot a little bit higher yeah they'd that. want somebody who's younger that can they, stay in the program for a while but there was like a panic mode in my head that franklin was like, what about imagine, james right? franklin oh that'd make a ton of sense wouldn't it yeah but anyway this brings me to the next part of this which is there are going to be, or could be, a lot of unbelievable jobs open this year or that already are open this season. USC so and LSU. We already have LSU and USC. Um, Washington is open, which is, I don't know, it's one of the top jobs in the Pac-12, specifically. We've um, gone back and forth about TCU, but yeah. either way, it's still a Big 12 Correct. job. Correct. Uh, Virginia Tech is now open. Penn State, if James Franklin were to leave somewhere, which... That's been a rumor that he could go to USC, which I guess would fill USC, but then that could potentially leave Penn State open. Miami, that could be an opening. How about Auburn? How about Auburn. Florida? Yeah, and Florida's the other one with Dan Mullen. I don't know, but Auburn's an interesting one. This is their first year with Brian Harson, the coordinator, uh, who, or he was the head coach at Boise State, came over. They're 6-4. and four. He wouldn't be in danger of being fired, but they have a uh, uh, COVID vaccine mandate that sets on, I believe, December 8th. And he has been asked about this several times throughout the season, and his comment every time has said, I'm not talking about that. Which, who knows? He might be vaccinated. But yeah. you would just think that if he that was, he would just, just say, say yes yeah, and get it I'm, over with exactly, so there's no more speculation. Which makes me think he could be in the same situation the Washington State coach was, and Auburn could be looking for a new head coach. Which I, I'm, not gonna, on. I'm not going to shed a <laughs> single tear because they were— it, it, the the amount of people they fire, the amount of guys they fire for mm -hmm. no, just the only sin that uh, that any other that any Auburn coach, especially um, was it Malzahn, they just can. Yeah, 
the only sin Gus Malzahn ever committed was not being Nick Saban. Right. They fired him because he's not the best coach in the history of the sport. Unbelievable. So that, so that I is got a no lot of good jobs, for Auburn. Though. I mean, which of those, if you had to like power rank your three, you, what you think of those, Texas, Florida, LSU, USC, Washington, Virginia Tech, Penn State, Miami, TCU, Auburn, if you had to power rank the top three jobs. Well, Texas is about to go to the SEC, so you're going to run it. I, now, I do think, I mean, soon enough, Saban's got to retire, but I think Georgia has really established themselves. Um, so, but so that that may— I might be know, tempted to put USC may, one. I, I would, too. I would say the— an easier path the amount the of Yes. Like if the, you get it rolling. Exactly. And the amount of things— but the amount of things you have to compete with to be good, it, there's two sides to that coin. One, you have to compete with a lot in L.A. If, um, to to bring in fans. The other side of that is if you are good, you offer so much more than any other college can, can possibly offer in the lifestyle that is provided by high-level USC athletes. And look, when Pete Carroll had it humming, that was at, early on in the Pete Carroll tenure when they weren't winning national titles, but they were going to um, Orange Bowls and Rose Bowls. They were um, that was with during the Shaq Kobe Lakers era. So you, it's possible to win at a high level at USC, even when uh, you know other teams there are doing well. Well, and just think if if the college football playoff would have been around, even the four team playoff. When Pete Carroll was there, all of those games were, I mean, you, you go hosted from, a lot. Right. And, and you go from after you lose the national title in 05, at that point, you had won uh, one BCS title and an AP title in addition to that. So it would have been a third straight, technically, if, if you would have won that, that last one, which you didn't. But even after that, even though you didn't go back to another title game, you went winning the Rose Bowl, winning the Rose Bowl, winning the Rose Bowl. And in those three seasons, you would have thought that maybe in a 14 playoff, you make the playoff one of those, I don't know, one of those three years, at least maybe two of those years. So, like, it gets even better in that situation. The way that I see USC would be similar to how we see Oklahoma now. Um, maybe not this year specifically, but just that, like, they just win the Big 12 every year and they get into the playoff. Yeah, yeah. If they get it rolling. So I would put that one number one. After that, it's really interesting to me. Um, LSU, the last this stat always gets touted. The last three different coaches who have coached there have won a national title. Yeah, that's got to be worth something. But you also have the roadblock of Alabama. Then again, if Nick Saban retires in five years, like how how does that change? Are they in the same division as Alabama? And that's what makes it tough. And Texas A&M. And, and then the other side, and that's the problem with Florida. You're in the same division as Georgia, mm-hmm. who I think Georgia is really. Man. Texas is going to have the same problem as one of those. Exactly. I, I, don't know which. I mean, well, I didn't. I thought they go to the pod. They're going to go system. to the pod system. Which Maybe is, it helps. If that pod is Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, and Kentucky, you're you're in. Then yes, that's you're one of you're the in best decent jobs. shape. So I I don't know, uh, but there's also something to be said about the jobs that give you better job security, right? Like if you're at Washington and you do what Chris Peterson did, yeah, then they like love you. Don't you. have to go to the Ask playoff Matt every year, Campbell right? How much it's worth? You know, ask really ask anybody like. You know, okay, you want you can get, you know, four million bucks a year, be really loved, and you know your best year, you have a chance to get into the playoff. You're probably never going to win a national championship, but if you go to a school that you you probably have a better shot at winning a national title at, if you do any less than nine wins, they want to can you. Yeah. And so, wh- where's the happiness there? Like, you have to factor in at what point is it just, I just enjoy what you know, I enjoy what I'm getting here. Um, and so that's, 
I, I don't know. I feel I view Franklin as a climber, though. There's I always like every opening. There's so much smoke around James Franklin's name for there to be no sm- uh, no fire. So I got to think Franklin is is going somewhere, and I think USC ultimately will be that somewhere. Um, Auburn, I would put low just because I think Auburn Auburn is better than Tennessee, but I still think their fans their expectations have expectations are too high. Exactly, their fans have way too high of expectations. I think Penn State might actually be the sneaky one on this list. Because they have They'll a little be, yeah, bit of if the. If it wa- gets open, that's right. a good job. They're not quite the Washington level where it's like if you go seven and five every year, it's fine. Yeah, right. They're not quite that. But if you go eight and four, nine and three, like you might be fine. But also with the difference between Penn State and Washington to me, like Penn State does have national title ceiling. Yeah, I would say that's true. I mean, you're in. You're in a. I mean, have they made a playoff yet? No, but they went the one year they were they were fifth. They won the Big Ten. They they lost in the Rose Bowl to Sam Darnold in USC, but they were ranked fifth headed into the playoffs. Yeah, so it's possible to do it there. I I would say yeah, I mean I would you'd certainly have a better chance of winning a national title at Penn State than you do at uh, at Washington. Mm-hmm. I would say uh Florida's a weird one, man, because they were so great under Urban Meyer and they won national championships with Spurrier in the nineties. But They've almost kind of like Texas. It's been like, where have you gone? Yeah, like, I kind of happened? view those on the same level where it's like, if you get them rolling, you can be an absolute They're juggernaut. They're such a sleeping giant. Exactly. But they've, they've had a hard time base, hiring the right guys. And you know there's going to be a lot of uh, expectations. And, and if you come up even a little short, you're screwed there. Okay, uh, let's get on to our who is still live for the college football playoff. This is, again, doesn't mean I think they will make it or doesn't mean that if they just win out, they'll automatically make it. Doesn't mean they control their own destiny. Just who is alive? Again, the reminder on the rules. Number one, you can't lose twice unless you win the SEC. Uh, proof in the pudding was Auburn a handful of years ago. They were number two in the college football playoff rankings, headed into the SEC title with two losses, but then they lost, so they would have made it if not for that. Uh, rule number two, don't be in the group of five unless... You were really good last year. You play at least one marquee non-con game this year. Go undefeated and hope you get help around you. That still might not be I would enough, almost amend that. You, you have to be good for the last two years. Probably. So, uh, yeah, you have to have a lot going for you, basically, for rule number two. Rule number three, if you lose one time and don't go undefeated, you have to A, win your conference title. B, you have to be in a really good conference if you don't win your conference title. Um, so, for instance, like, the year Alabama made the playoff at 11-1. They didn't play in the SEC title game. Um, the other rules, you can't get blown out. If you do get blown out, it has to be to a really good team, and you have to rematch them in a conference title game so you can get revenge. And the other part of that rule is you can't lose to, like, a really bad team. You can lose to a mediocre team close. We've seen teams like Clemson loses to Pitt in a close game. Um, those are mediocre teams, but you can't lose to a terrible team. So, with that... And, okay. he, and and the, the to, to clarify the, the mediocre team can't be a blowout, right? Yes, correct. It can't be like like l- Purdue knocked out Ohio State. That yeah, was like, a mediocre by, like Purdue 59-24 exactly. or whatever that game was. That yeah. Ohio State team only lost one game. They won the conference title. Didn't have a shot at making it to the college football playoff. Okay, so that leaves twelve teams left, down from thirteen from last week. ACC, we have Wake Forest hanging on after the NC State win. Again, they're probably not gonna make it in, but hypothetically, they'd be a, a one loss Power Five champion. Uh, Big Twelve. OU still live. They went out. Oklahoma State with one loss. Ohio State, Michigan. Michigan State with one loss. Oregon. And then Georgia, Alabama. Ole Miss is technically, if Alabama were to lose their next two and Ole Miss were to win their next two, would be in the SEC title. So they could still make it with two losses. Group of five, Cincinnati. Wait, what was the Michigan Purdue score? I thought that was a blowout. Uh, no, it was 40 to 29. And oh, okay. Yeah, That's not bad. It, it wasn't not terrible. Bad. Um, so here's the question to me now. 
Does a one-loss Big 12 champ or does a one-loss Wake Forest get in over an undefeated Cincinnati? I think that I think I think a one-loss Oklahoma gets in over Cincinnati. A one-loss Baylor. Baylor or has it, two. It'd be Oklahoma State or Oklahoma. So, okay. Um, well, Oklahoma State. I would put in that. Say, I would say one-loss Oklahoma without a doubt. If they go back, if they go come around and win the and win the Big Twelve title, especially if it's against Baylor, they're going. Um, Oklahoma State. I think I, they would. I think they would. I, Wake Forest is the one that's weird to me. Yeah, I don't think Wake Forest would. Um, Wake Forest's best win is NC State now, which NC State is, they were 16th. I'd imagine they'll be around, I don't know, 19th, 20th or something. Especially like Wake Forest doesn't even have an opportunity to beat somebody huge that's in the, the conference issue. title game. I guess Pitt, if Pitt, they need, here's what they need. Okay, so they pick Clemson, I think, this week, and they're underdogs. Um, they need to beat Clemson. Hope that gains them respect. They need NC State to keep winning out so that win looks good. And then they need. Pittsburgh to win out, so Pittsburgh ends up at 10-2, and two, and then they just bludgeon Pittsburgh in the ACC title game. And at that point, that'd be like a top 15 win or something like that. What do you think Wake Forest needs to get in? I, I would say they need Cincinnati to lose, yeah. and they need the winner of the Big 12 to have two losses. Correct. Yeah. And then you need chaos in the Big 10, maybe even. I, I don't know. It's going to be hard for them to get you in. You think the SEC's getting two? I think they're only getting Georgia. I, I think it... Now I want to be clear. I I don't think I think Alabama is going to lose again, so that's why I feel that yeah, way. Yeah. So uh, if Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC title, I think Alabama will be in if it's over Cincinnati. But I don't. Two think lost they Alabama. Would. I do because last year I don't know if you remember this. Cincinnati ended the season. I want to say eighth in the college football playoff rankings. Florida was like sixth going into the SEC title game. Lost. It was their third loss of the year. And they okay. still ended up ahead of Cincinnati at number seven. Now, this year, Cincinnati's different. They have the Notre Dame win, right? And that's a crowning jewel achievement because Notre Dame is ranked ninth. They'll probably they, be ranked And they keep this winning. Week. Yeah, they're doing exactly. well. So, and that that's interesting, too, by the way, the fact that Notre Dame, like if you would have, before the season started, said Notre Dame's going to go 11-1, and one, you would have been like, oh, yeah, they're they're if they're not in the playoff, they're like five or six, right? They, they're eight right now. It doesn't What's even feel like is, they have a shot. I mean, they 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 kind of have. They used to be associated somewhat with the Big East because that's who they played in basketball. Also, somewhat with the Big Ten. Now they're associated with the ACC, and that's what they play in basketball. And last year with COVID, they did play in the ACC. One loss, Notre Dame over one over uh, ACC champion Wake Forest. That'd be very interesting, would it not? All right, here's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's talk more college football. College basketball as well with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. He joins us next. Welcome back in. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. About 20 minutes till five here. And we're joined now on a Tuesday by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Uh, KU beats Texas down in Austin for the first time and uh, breaks their road losing streak in the Big 12. Uh, Kevin, uh, what from that game stood out to you the most uh, in the Kansas win? You know, there were, there were several things. I mean, one obviously was the play of Jalen Daniels. You know, I think that he played with a poise that that was really impressive. I thought his arm strength really showed up in, in a major way, and he made some big time throws. And you know, you, you look at the the final play, the the touchdown pass or the two point conversion pass, more accurately to to Jared Casey. 
you know, you get pressure in Jalen Daniels' face. He doesn't panic. He continues rolling out and, and finds uh, finds the open man. And, and I think, you know, when you look forward at, at Kansas and, and when you look at Kansas's past, like I know we have so many times, one of the biggest, you know, sort of issues that Kansas has had is that whenever Kansas has found a quarterback who has been good, you know, he's been gone, right? Like Carter Stanley has the really good senior year, and then he's gone. Bill Whittemore has the really good senior year and runs out of eligibility. Mark Williams, you want to go back to the 95 Aloha Bowl team, you know, was a senior that year and really emerged. And had he had one more year left, you know, really could have, could have been, you know, a, a really impressive piece for them. You know, one of the few, you know, guys that, that doesn't fit in that, uh, in that category is, uh, is Todd Reesing. But generally speaking, you know, when Kansas has found somebody at that quarterback position, they haven't had him for long. And I think when you look at what Kansas has and what Jason Bean has shown at times, uh, when you look at, at what Jalen Daniels just showed against Texas, I think the overwhelming takeaway is not just that this team is getting better, not just that they've gotten better up front all year, not just that Devin Neal has you know continued to grow and, and get better. The defense has done some good things. But I think the most important thing is you look at that quarterback position, Derek, and whether it's Jason Bean or whether it's Jalen Daniels, and I, I assume we'll have, you know, a, a pretty a pretty tough battle between those two for the for the starting quarterback spot all through the off season. Whichever guy wins that race, you know, you've got that guy for for multiple more seasons. You know, Jason Bean has two more years of eligibility left if he wants him after this year. You know, Jalen Daniels, theoretically, if he if he does play in the the last few games or whatever, if they don't uh, if they don't use his red shirt, um, then he is a guy that uh, he's a guy that'll still have three years left. And I know that that today, you know, at the press conference, Lance Leipold said that the Daniels wants to play and that they're going to go ahead and do that. But you're looking at a situation either way where your starting quarterback, one, could be a guy who's pretty talented, a guy that gives you a chance to win uh, against some pretty good teams, and a guy that you're going to have to build around for multiple seasons. Okay, so where are we at with the chances for KU to win yet another game this season? Like uh, with at TCU this upcoming week, it's been a TCU team who struggled this season, but a couple weeks ago they pulled off a win against Baylor. West Virginia, again, you know, they're below 500 so far in the year. Um, how, how likely are the chances that KU can get to three wins and dare I even say four? You know, there's a chance there. And, and I don't know if you watched uh, TCU's press conference stuff today, Derek, but TCU uh, came out and said they don't think Zach Evans is going to play. You know, he's at 80%. They're probably going to have to save him for the final game, which certainly helps Kansas's chances. They don't know what they're going to have at quarterback because the quarterback options are so banged up. And so, you know, you would certainly think that you'd maybe have a have a chance there. And then West Virginia has been playing better of late uh, heading into last week's Kansas State game. And, 
you know, really didn't play well in, in that contest. Obviously, you've got to give a lot of credit to Kansas State. But the flip side of that is is that, you know, I think West Virginia had been on sort of a trajectory before that where you could say, ah, it's, it's not really looking great, you know, for Kansas's chances at that point. But, you know, when you look at both of those games, the, the flaws that their opponents have, the injuries, all of the different things that are there, you know, there there's at least a, a chance for Kansas to add that third win. And, and Derek, you know, I, I picked Kansas to win two wins before the season. You know, I, I think that with one of those wins coming against Texas, with the way that, that they hung around against Oklahoma, I think this year has been a successful first year. But if Kansas does wind up going three and nine, adding another win and ending the season, you know, with two wins out of their final three games, I don't see any way that you don't look at that as just, you know, a resounding success in terms of that first season and having something to build on heading into the off season. And as somebody who follows recruiting and specifically state of Kansas recruiting, you know, something that that maybe sets you up to really do some nice things on the recruiting trail with a really loaded in-state class in 2023. If Kansas gets up to four wins, will you get on board with me with Lance Leipold, big 12 coach of the year? Gosh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, it's funny because I think that when you looked at it before the season, I didn't think that four wins, I don't want to say I didn't think it was possible. I thought it was on the extreme, extreme upper end of possibilities for Kansas's, for Kansas's stuff. But then, you know, you look at the way that the season went and you look at the way that Kansas struggled in the trenches against South Dakota in the opener. When you look at the fact that, this is a coaching staff that didn't have an off season to put their system in. They didn't have an off season really to establish culture in the weight room, you know? And so, you know, guys in weeks two and three in the middle of the season, they're still learning, Hey, do I turn right here or do I turn left? And so to go from that and where they were at, at certain points, to, you know, being competitive with Oklahoma, you know, really putting yourself in a situation where if a fluke fourth down play doesn't happen, you know, maybe you even win that game, to going down to Austin, winning, you know, at Texas in a game where you were the better team. You know, you you looked like the better team throughout. I know things, you know, got a little more interesting late, but generally speaking over the course of the game, you know, Kansas looked like the better team and, and won that game. If Kansas winds up winning its last two games to finish on a three game winning streak with all of those different things happening over the course of the season, the lack of ability to prepare and, and all of those different things, uh, I think that he would make for a, uh, make for a really interesting and quite frankly, you know, probably should be the the pick as big 12 coach of the year at that point. Uh, Speaking of coaches after the loss for Texas, do you think Steve Sarkeesian actually has a legit shot of getting fired? And how much do you think these next two games could impact that decision? I, I don't think Sarkeesian has a legitimate chance of getting fired. I do think that, that there's going to be, you know, blood in the streets, so to speak. I, I don't see that whole staff making it out of the season. And one of the things, you know, that, and, you know, a lot of these coaches have forgotten more about football than, you know, we'll ever know. But at the same time, 
you know, you look at, at Texas's defense against Kansas. You know, Kansas is a team that, that really wants to run the ball, doesn't necessarily have receivers that are going to run by you, you know, in, in the passing game. And, and Texas was sitting back and too high for a lot of the game. And that was really hard for somebody like me to figure out because, Derek, I know you watch, you know, the Chiefs quite a bit as well. You know, too high is what you play when you're facing Patrick Mahomes and, and Tyree Kill. And you're worried about, you know, somebody just running by you. And so, you know, that gave Kansas, you know, some better numbers. I, I thought even beyond that, you know, Texas wasn't especially disciplined defensively, especially when it came to to setting the edge. You know, Devin Neal was able to get some really nice runs out on the edge where where Texas didn't play it very well. And so I think if I were looking at Texas, it wouldn't be Sarkeesian uh, in trouble, so to speak. It, it would be, you know, maybe members of that defensive staff, potentially even the defensive coordinator. And, and I think if we're being honest about it, Derek, I, I think that you're going to see a, a pretty major overhaul of, of that roster. You know, I think Texas is going to take a, a full recruiting class. They're going to take some transfers and, and some guys who are currently in the program are not going to be in the program for that much longer as they try to, to kind of reset, hit the reset button on the culture and, and things like that there. Hypothetically, though, like let's just say they did let go of Steve Sarkeesian and you would have an offseason where the LSU job, the USC job, and the Texas job were all available. How would you rank those three in terms of best job? You know, it's funny because, and it's such a great question because I think on almost all of these charts, Texas shows up as the best job in the country or right around there, right? But you look at... (laughs) You look at the the run of coaches lately and everything. It's not necessarily the easiest place to win. And then you you add in that they're going to the SEC. Yes, you have a lot of resources. Yes, you're in the middle of of a state with you know a lot of talent. And if you can figure that thing out from a recruiting standpoint, your ceiling is is pretty high. I mean, Mac Brown won a won a national championship there with almost the entire roster being from the state of Texas. And and so you look at it, you know, from that standpoint and you say, well, okay, yeah, it's, it's a really great job. I think LSU is probably a better job at this point. I think Texas is a better job than USC because I think that USC, you see a lot of the same issues as Texas, right? Like you have, you know, allegedly this big money base, not as much as Texas though. You've got incredible proximity to talent, you know, like Texas does. And yet when you look at the recent run of coaches, you know, since Pete Carroll has left there, they haven't really had consistent results, you know, in, in their football program either. And so I think that there are some things that, that hold you back at both of those spots. But I, w- I would kind of circle the LSU job as – as one that, you know, the last several coaches who have been there have competed for national titles or won national titles. I guess the last three have won, right? Mm-hmm. When, when you look at uh, Orgeron, obviously, having won one, you know, Les Miles won one, and Nick Saban before him. And so when you, when you look at all of that, obviously there's a lot of talent in Louisiana as well. I think LSU is probably the best job of those three. I also think, too, you know, while – we're looking at the jobs kind of just as the jobs are. 
if you're Texas and you fire a coach after one year, you know, that probably puts you down, you know, quite a bit because people look at it and say, that's, that's not a one year turnaround. I don't want to go somewhere where they're running a coach after a year, you know, basically for, for football reasons, you know, it's one thing when you run a coach after a year because they have some sort of off the field thing or, or something like that. But, to actually lose your job because of what happens on the football field, that's a building job that I wouldn't want any part of because I do think Texas is, you know, a few years away from from being what it wants to be. And so you don't want to go to a program that requires multiple years, but you can get jettisoned after one. Do you think that Oklahoma has a real shot of still making it to the playoff? Do you think the Big 12 has a real shot of still making it to the playoff? You know, I, I think Oklahoma State has a chance um, when you when you look at the the schedule and, and the games still being there and the the loss that Oklahoma State had being the close loss to, to Iowa State. The problem with Oklahoma, I think, is a lot of people watch that Baylor game, and you know, a lot of times you can kind of look at it and say, well. You know, maybe not a lot of people saw that game, you know, or they think that it was fairly close or or whatever. But the people who watched that game saw Baylor dominate that contest. You know, Oklahoma got its butt whipped. And so when you look at it from that perspective and you look at the fact that Baylor, I mean, it's a tough team. They're well coached, you know, good defensively. But, you know, how does Baylor compare to Georgia or somebody like that, you know? It's not exactly like you're sitting there all of a sudden and saying, "Well, I really like Texas's chance or Oklahoma's chances to be able to compete on the biggest stage with with some of these other programs." And so, I think that that's a, a major issue for Oklahoma. In all likelihood, the Big Twelve is probably out. I would say, but at the same time, I do think Oklahoma State kind of has that that chance to climb into. Uh, to climb into that position and make things interesting. All right. We're with Kevin Flaherty of 24 seven sports here on rock chalk sports talk. Before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Kevin, one last thing. What was the last prize that you won in a contest? Oh gosh. Um, I honestly have no idea if we're, if we're being honest. I, uh, I, I remember being stunned in third grade when uh when i won uh it was one of those raffle things that i won like my teacher taking me out for an ice cream cone or something <laughs> like that because i pretty much never win raffles or, or anything like that um i i will say that the last time i was down in uh the last time i was down in mexico i was <laughs> robbed of a con- oh. of a uh, prize at uh at our resort, there was a little uh, a little soccer mini game thing that we played, and uh, and I was the uh, I was the guy that uh, that should have won, but they did not notice that a guy kind of snuck illegally back in who had already been eliminated, and he wound up winning the final round over me. So that that's the last prize I should have wow. won. I'm still a little bitter about it and I'm probably going to go home and cry a little bit now about it. Well, well I'm, I'm going to Cancun next week so I'll try to avenge you. <laughs> uh, I I would like that very much. The the funny thing about it was the uh the 
tour guide or, or the the activity host started uh, started calling me Chicharito because of my math skills with the soccer ball, <laughs> and uh, it, it wound up sticking. Like all the uh, there were other people who were also at the resort that started calling me Chicharito, who were you know Americans and stuff and did not realize what the reference was. So. Well, it was uh, it was kind of funny. You didn't win the battle, but you won the war. And Kevin, I'm sure karma will get you back, and, and something good is coming your way. Thank you so much for the time, uh, as I, always, man. I, I hope so. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> All right, that's Kevin Flaherty of 24/7 Sports joining us here as he does on Tuesdays on RCST with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Real quick, because we're, we're going to pick a contest winner. I, I put on Twitter yesterday, I have a pair of tickets to the uh, KU Stony Brook game on Thursday, and I just said, retweet this, give me a follow, I'll pick one random winner. We are going to pick that here in a minute. Uh, did you see Jared Casey, the fullback tight end? He's listed as a fullback. Lance Leipold said today, if you heard the audio, he actually is a tight end, but he's five foot nine, so they listed him as a fullback because you don't see many five foot nine tight ends, which is funny to begin with. Um, but he is cashing in on this fame, and awesome for him. I mean, this is the beauty of, of NIL. Things like this, in my eyes, are, are the best part about it. It's not as much, you know, good for a player if he's able to get a car deal. Like, if if you're that valuable, then yes, good for you. But it's this stuff that makes me smile the most. And he is, like, recording a Applebee's commercial, which is so wonderful for a guy from Plainsville, Kansas, which... I don't even know like what the restaurant choice is in Plainsville. Um, I, gotta, I, gotta I would think, imagine there's an Applebee's there, right? And that's like the, no, I would think you don't Hayes think so. Is the closest to Applebee's. Okay, but do you think that's like the big hangout? You know, yeah, they go oh, yeah. after I'm the sure game to the Applebee's, after, right? Yeah, I'm sure that's a big place to go. It's awesome. Good for him. So yeah, I mean, I I like it. I I uh, it's it's unique because you know not only like even if NIL existed 20 years ago, mm-hmm. nobody would have gotten this sort of fame. It would have been exclusively <laughs> reserved for either five-star recruits or like two or three-star recruits who who blew up right. and got really good. But this kind of, he went, he became a national name in a week because of a great catch mm-hmm. um, on a national stage against a big team uh, with, uh, to top it off, and I think this added a lot to it, an, an awesome uh, video of his parents going nuts uh, 10 million feet away. For They had better seats than, uh, than what's his name? Jordan Love's mom. Jordan yeah. Love's mom at the Chiefs game. <laughs> but um, they still, they had, um, they, they had a view of the, of the, of the catch, and um, that, I don't know, all of that combined was really, really awesome. Yeah, it was. So, uh, cool moment for him. I also saw a video of him hitting, like, a game-winning three from high school. I guess he was, like, a, a three-sport star. We just learned more and more about Jared Casey. And cool because he's a walk-on as well. So, like, you know, he could very much – not not that other people couldn't use the money as well, but certainly it's cool because I would imagine it uh, – I don't know, maybe it'll go toward paying for college or just gives him a little extra money in his pocket. So, kind of cool there. Uh, so, I do have, like I said – 
pair of KU tickets against Stony Brook that I'm going to give away. Um, we have 472 retweets, so I am sorry. I was not expecting it to get this heavy. Um, I, I am sorry if you don't win, but just out of clarity, we will be doing more ticket giveaways over the course of the season. We also are going to have some cool t-shirts that we're going to be giving away over the course of the season. So there will be plenty more giveaways, plenty more opportunities to win. If you didn't win this time, don't worry. You didn't get slighted. And, and to so, all the people who replied to me and yeah, said, like, I I, I'm excited to, you know, I, I'd love to take my kid or my girlfriend or their, my mom to their first game or whatever. I That I, doesn't I help. Completely, yeah. And, and all power to you. I hope it helps in in like a you know karma way. Yeah, I'm not looking at that. I am just completely randomly picking. And good luck to all of you. So, Adam, I am literally just not even looking at my screen, just scrolling up and down from right. everybody who retweeted it. Just tell me when to stop, and stop. I will. Okay. Uh, it looks like the winner is Ashley, Ashley. It's pronounced. Uh, What's her uh, at? Just so we it can is clarify. At A-A-S-H-L-X-I-G-H. Wow. She is a KU journalism major, apparently. All right. Good for Ashley. Congratulations. Right. Whatever. What? Well, I was going to say, should I pick somebody else? You have student tickets. But then again. Maybe she doesn't have student tickets. You entered yourself in to win. So why, if you had student tickets, would you enter? Rules and rules. One this, this segment is not being recorded, so it's live, so we really have to give <laughs> yeah, it to I know, her. right? I can't, I can't, can't go back. on this. All right, Ashley, congratulations. Uh, we will, I guess, shoot you a DM or, I don't know, quote tweet it, and hopefully you uh, pick them up. But if you don't respond, then maybe by tomorrow we'll have to give them to somebody else. But uh, congratulations to you. Congratulations to KU Football and Jared Casey beating Texas over the weekend. Something that Kevin Flaherty said in that last interview was pretty interesting. Uh, the idea that... Um, this year is now a resounding success. And I think there are levels here, right? Because we both would agree that regardless of what happened in that game, regardless of what happened this season, as much as we were looking at the ins and outs week to week, because we have to talk about it for 15 hours a week, um, no matter what happened this year, barring like off the field stuff, it wasn't that it wasn't going to be a success. It's just this year was, a, it, was it, a there was no way for it to be a failure. Yeah, there's right? a gimme. I think, um, but uh, I, yes, but it was already success in my mind because w- they've improved so much since the beginning of the year, and then on top of that, they're not killing themselves. They're not making stupid mistakes. They did. Um, I, I go back to the opening, the the opening quarter of the Iowa State game where they made a lot of like "what are you doing" mistakes, but those didn't happen in every game. Um, they had games in which you know we talked all all we all year about. Hey, you know, previous KU teams, as soon as something bad happens, they just fold. And how much we're expecting, you know, in previous years, you're up 14-0 on Texas, then they make it 14-all. You're losing that game 49-14. That didn't happen. So the fact that they showed toughness and resilience, that means something. The fact that they haven't beaten themselves with stupid penalties, that means something. And the fact that they have uh, shown that they have at least one, maybe probably two, talented quarterbacks that's huge Mm -hmm. to me um I think the difference is now if you win one or how about two more games you're going from yes this was a successful season to uh this was a uh you know this means expectations for next year like if you went four this year that breeds expectations for next year 
That's a good point because this isn't a situation where it's like, oh, now we're graduating 30 seniors, so it's going to be a step back before you step back forward. Like the expectation always was by year two or year three, this is when you're going to build this thing up. So now there are more expectations, but that's a good thing, right? We always hear it with KU basketball, right? Expectations are a good thing because that means you were good and you're expected to be good and you want that to happen. You want to be expected to be good. But certainly, I think if we are judging it from a on-field results thing, you know, even taking that all aside to this other level, this to me makes it from being just a, okay, that season happened, it was a necessary evil, you got through year zero, to now it is a success. Especially when you when you think about how they beat South Dakota. They needed a drive at the end to win. Like, if they, if they had beaten, like, think about how much better we would feel about that South Dakota game if they had won 55-10. to 10. And actually, I'll say this, South Dakota actually is looking good as a, as a uh, 1AA or FCS team this year. They have... Mm-hmm. Um, they won on in a Hail Mary. They were, they're ranked, first off, and they won with a Hail Mary at home over South Dakota State. But if they, you know, they didn't blow out South Dakota, so we had reason to walk away from that game going, eh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But now they've, they've, you know, they've improved. Um, they've shown an ability to move the ball. And then now they've, they've won a game, and they, they won a game that they had a lot of reasons to lose. They had a lot of chances to blow it, and they didn't. So... You know they and they beat a game. They beat a team that's probably better than them. They outplayed a game, or they outplayed a team. So yeah, there's there's a lot to like about what's happened already this season. Okay, so what what happens if they win a third game? Like, is it the same? Then, no, I think then you start talking like, okay, they they might need to improve on that. Like, mm-hmm. if you if you win three or four, you're talking four or five next year. But for sure, if they win one more game, like, what is the the Because right now. Again, if we've gone from year zero was just a thing to now it is a success to then, I think if you win game three, it becomes now we're really excited headed into the offseason. And, and that goes in line with what you're talking about. And then on top of that, I think if you win the next two, you're not finishing in last place in the conference, right? Or would you still? That's at, a good question. I think it would just and, come down to six. like, yeah, I mean, it would come down to who you beat um, probably and maybe the head to heads and stuff like that. Because right now, if they win, right now they're they're looking at you one and one eight, big, yeah, one and eight in the conference. If they win another, that's two and seven. If they win the third, it's three and six. I don't know. Maybe they'll finish ahead of Texas. <laughs> but you wonder, man, if if they win another, if they win two more, does that mean they're coming in coming into next year off four wins, not finish, finishing last in the conference? So that means they won't be picked to finish last in the conference in the preseason because they're returning. Conceivably, you would think. They're returning a lot from what we consider a good season. That's a great question. I'd love to know, honestly, like, when is the last time KU was not picked to finish last in the conference? I don't know. I'd have to go back. I yeah. Don't know. Um, so, yeah, if you win three games, the excitement's going to be pretty incredible. I think if you win three games, that's probably also an indication that Jalen Daniels continued to play well, which has you feeling even better about the quarterback position. Do you want to go to the mega scenario? You win four games? I mean, what are we talking oh, about I mean, this offseason? Yeah, if you win four. Are we talking about going to a bowl game yeah, next you year? Yeah, if you win four, you're thinking about bowl game next year. I haven't taken a peek, taken a peek, bleh. I haven't taken a peek at their schedule. Honestly, some of it may depend on whether or not Texas and OU yeah. scoot this offseason or not and when those other teams join. That would be a big help, would it not? Because 
hypothetically, again, we don't know when the others would join, and maybe if Texas and OU leave, like that would give the Big 12 more money to bring those schools in sooner if yeah, that is what they would want to do. But let's just say hypothetically, like Texas and OU left, which I thought there was like 180 or a year and a half or 18 months, not 180, 18 month um, prerequisite that they had to give, and then they had to wait 18 months. But again, I'm sure that's all stuff that can be you know lawyered out of there. If they were to leave and it was without too much of a time for you to add more teams into the conference, hypothetically, you'd just get two extra non-con games, which you would add late, and that could like actually be the difference in KU making a bowl yeah, game or not. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, I Here's their schedule, what, by the way. Okay, yeah, go with their— which, I mean, we're, I don't know why we're doing this now. We're going to have all offseason to talk about it. But What's their non-con? Tennessee Tech, who they just added, so that should be a win. Um, that, would that be, that'd be their FCS opponent, right? Yeah, and then they have—this is tough— uh, future Big 12 opponent at Houston. But they do have a bye week in between. But Houston is trending toward being ranked right now, so that's not great. That's a good program. Um, and then they have Duke at home, which, you know. You can beat Duke. Very doable. Um, and then after that, obviously, you know all the rest. Conference, yeah. yeah. I, I, no, if they win four, you're, you're thinking about a bowl. And I can't remember what was going on coming into 03. KU jumped from 2-10 and 10 in 02 to a bowl season in 03. Mm-hmm. They went 6-5. and five. I, but no, if they if they win four games and return a huge chunk like they did, like they will, you're thinking about a bowl. I yes. I have to think that's the the case. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And I mean, just especially the, if three of those wins are in conference. Well, because that would be that would be the most wins that KU has had since the final year of Mark Mangino. Yeah, when and they went five and seven. To not only have it go like that, but also go the complete opposite of how that season happened, where you basically collected you're hot at the end. Yeah, exactly. You collected three or four wins at the end of the year. I mean, it would be incredible what the buzz would be this offseason. And to have that not only happen. For Lance Leipold and KU, again, this is like the dream scenario. But to happen in the first year when you're trying to establish that foundation, and we've talked about really over the course of this year how much we're expecting them to use the transfer portal in the offseason. This is going to be a huge week, I think, for KU because KU football has had a lot of moments over the years where they've won a game or they've looked really good in a game. And that week, people get, and we're probably doing it right now, people get ahead of themselves and they go, wow, look at this. Wow, they could win that. Wow, they won't be big underdogs in that. Whoa, this could happen. That could happen. And then they go out the following week and just get polished, like 45 to 7. That happened in 2013. KU, I think, beat West Virginia. Iowa State wasn't particularly good that year. And they thought, hey, wow, KU could actually win two conference games. They went to Ames and lost 34-7. So, I this is a big week. I, I would right. pick them to uh, probably pick them to lose the TCU. What'd you say? But you if, were looking at the spread. I thought earlier, I saw twenty-two. Okay. If they hang within two touchdowns of TCU, I'm still feeling good. Well, because that goes back to what we were talking about after they they played close with Oklahoma and they were playing Oklahoma State the next week. It was like You're the 55 difference to three. Yeah. yeah, and it was like the difference in years past when you had a competitive game. The next week, you weren't able to do so. You weren't able to string it together. Looking back, probably a little unfair because you were playing back to back top fifteen opponents. So the fact that you were competitive with even one, but this is the opportunity where that does need to be yeah, corrected. This is, right, this is a team that's already fired their coach. Um, you know, they've, they've got an, as uh, Flaherty noted, they've got a, an injured player. They're, they're not, well, they may be playing. They said he was at 80%, but mm-hmm. they're probably saving yeah, him they're for the last. Yeah, they're still running back. Yeah, yeah, they're probably saving him for the last game of the year. Yeah, this is a team that I think it's fair to expect KU to certainly, certainly beat the spread. Mm-hmm. Stay within three touchdowns. I think that's a fair uh, expectation for them. 
And if you know, I, when, if they come in and they lose by a you know by a heap, I don't think we're going to come in and say, "Wow, well, the bus is backing up." Right. Um, but I I do think it's fair to I think they've shown an ability at least to uh, to do that. And, and now the test is: Are they going to stay focused? Or are they going to live too much in what just happened on Saturday? We'll have that game for you on Saturday here on KLWN. It is a three o'clock kickoff with pregame starting at 1.30 down in Fort Worth, KU, taking on TCU. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.